Welcome back to General Zen Napoleon. Episode 21, Marshal Davout, Duke of Arstadt and Prince of Egmont. There was a saying in the region of France where his family hails from, quote, When a Davout comes into the world, another sword has leaped from the scabbard, end quote. Some say he was almost equal to Napoleon in his talents as military commander. Although he was a phenomenally talented general, his rule as administrator of conquered territories was draconian to say the least. As revered as Marshal Davout is by Bonapartists and battlefield historians, he was despised by most of his contemporaries and by the citizens of Hamburg, Germany. One historian said of Davout's famous 1806 victory at Auerstadt, quote, At Jena, Napoleon won a battle he could not lose. At Auerstadt, Davout won a battle he could not win, end quote. In this battle, Davout's 28,000 troops defeated an enemy Prussian force of 63,000 soldiers. Conversely, his name is not well revered in Poland, nor in Hamburg, Germany, which are two regions he ruled over with an iron fist. In 1813, Napoleon tasked the Iron Marshal, as he was known, with holding the city of Hamburg. Late that year, when winter provisions began to fail, the poor were thrown out of the city into freezing temperatures. Those who refused to go were threatened with 50 blows of the cane. Quote, At the end of December, People without distinction of sex or age were dragged from their beds and conveyed out of the town. End quote. More than 30 were found dead the next morning. During the Allied siege of the town, the Russian commander, Benningsen, attempted by means of spies to raise a revolt in the fortress, but Davout's iron grip was too firm, and a few executions cooled the rebellion idea. It was not until mid-April 1814 that the marshal was informed of the abdication of Napoleon. Not certain of the truth, he refused to give up his command. Finally, official news arrived from Paris, and on the following day, the 15,000 men who remained of the original garrison of 34,000 marched out after General Girard relieved Davout of command by order of King Louis XVIII. When it came to willpower, Marshal Davout was in a class by himself. Louis-Nicolas Davout was born on May 10, 1770, in the Burgundy region of France. His family was poor, but of noble descent. His father, Jean-Francois, was a cavalry officer in the Royal Army. Apparently, the unbroken lineage of military men in his family dates all the way back to the Crusades. Sadly, his father died in a hunting accident when Davout was eight years old. His mother and grandmother instilled Davout with a strong interest in education. In 1785, in keeping with his lineage, Davout enrolled in the Royal Military School in Paris, the same school Napoleon graduated from just a few months before. After graduating in 1788, he was assigned as a junior lieutenant in a cavalry regiment. He formed strong opinions of the politics of France at that time, 
and these opinions were to land him in hot water later on. His young mind was captivated by the revolutionary ideals of the time. In 1790, he was arrested for leading a mass desertion within his unit. After six weeks of imprisonment, he was discharged from the army. After a brief glimpse of civilian life, he returned to the military in 1791. He also married his first wife in 1791, Marie Nicole Adelaide, but the marriage was a brief one as they divorced three years later. After rejoining the army, he was quickly promoted to lieutenant colonel due to his stern discipline over his men. In 1792, Davout's unit was posted within the Army of the North along the frontiers of France. Davout performed well with bold surprise attacks against enemy forces in that area. In March 1793, he was assigned to General de Maurier's force of 40,000 Republican soldiers. De Maurier was a monarchist sympathizer at heart, and after losing the Battle of Neerwinden, he switched sides and defected to the enemy Austrian camp. The stern Davout tried to arrest his commanding officer before he fled, and even had his troops fire a few shots at the general, but was unsuccessful in stopping him. For his efforts to protect the new French Republican army, Davout was promoted to brigadier general. All seemed to be going well for his career, but a new rule from the revolutionary government prohibited any officer positions to be held by someone of a noble background. Thus, Davout was put on the inactive list. Shortly after, Davout's mother was jailed for possible royalist tendencies, but was freed after Davout destroyed the suspicious letters that was the government's evidence. In late 1794, Davout was finally able to resume his military career as a leader of cavalry. During this time, he added to his reputation as a stubborn fighter and won several engagements against the Austrian army. In 1797, his efforts garnered the attention of General Desai, who became one of Davout's biggest supporters. Davout also befriended the future Marshal Oudinot around this time. This was notable because the grim Davout didn't have many friends or supporters. He wasn't a yard bird like Murat or Ajuru, who were always touting their accomplishments. He also didn't care what other officers thought of him or his slovenly appearance. He was always poorly dressed, especially for a general officer. In addition, he had poor eyesight and had to wear specially made glasses to see everything on a battlefield. He didn't look like a leader of men, but looks can be deceiving. In 1798, Desai recommended Davout to join Napoleon's expedition in conquest of Egypt. Like everyone else in the Egyptian campaign, Davout went through many hardships over the next few years. He participated in the battles of the Pyramids and Abu Kir. Serving under General Desai, the two men and their 4,000 soldiers performed wonders winning six battles against enemy troops in the Upper Nile area. Although Napoleon was impressed with Davout's abilities, he was not amongst the small group of officers chosen to return to France with a future emperor. Davout finally rejoined Napoleon in 1800 
and was promoted to general of division. He was assigned to command the cavalry in the army of Italy and contributed to the victory at Monsimbano. Unfortunately, Davout's benefactor, General Desai, was killed at the critical Battle of Marengo. After peace was declared in 1801, Davout was able to enjoy a little downtime. During that same year, Napoleon ordered General Leclerc to take charge of the colonial reconquest of the Caribbean country that is modern-day Haiti. As the general expected to be away for a long time, he wanted to make sure his youngest sister was securely attached before departing. Thus, Leclerc introduced his 19-year-old sister Amy to his friend and fellow general, Davout. Unfortunately for Leclerc, he died of yellow fever while in Haiti. Fortunately, his sister and the future marshal would go on to have a long and loving marriage. Despite Davout's many absences on campaign, the couple would go on to have eight children, but only four of them would survive to adulthood. Davout always carried a portrait of Amy inside his watch. Seems appropriate for such a detail-oriented man. Oddly enough, he did not care about his appearance or uniform. He was always thinking about his men and worrying about their needs above his own. He continually looked after the welfare of his troops and strove to improve their daily living conditions. It was said that any chicken could stroll confidently through the camps of Davu because no stealing or illegal requisitioning of food would be permitted. Davu was also known to shoot any marauders or any of his own troops who did not obey his commands. In 1803, Davout was assigned commander of 3rd Corps, whose reputation for discipline was to be only rivaled by Napoleon's elite Imperial Guard. In preparation for the proposed French invasion of England, Davout incessantly drilled his men in amphibious landings, night fighting, and combined arms assaults. He also published a manual on the combined use of infantry, artillery, and cavalry. This stark training regime is reminiscent of the Band of Brothers in the famed World War II U.S. unit known as Easy Company. In similar fashion, Davout trained his men with long marches, physical fitness, proper hygiene, uniform care, and encouraged living off the land by cultivating gardens in his camps. He demanded excellence from his enlisted men and his officers. Although he wasn't beloved by his men, like Marshal Ney or Ogeroux, he was highly respected by all who served under him. Napoleon and Davout expected their senior commanders to share in the privations of their soldiers. Sleep in simple lodgings and lead from the front. This final part was a strict rule in the Corps of Davout. There is a legendary story where Marshal Davout was in a stiff battle against an enemy force. The Marshal was riding from unit to unit to shore up the line and make sure his men had the proper orders, ammunition, and reinforcements as needed. During this reconnaissance, he spoke with a group of soldiers at the front line, but couldn't locate their captain. 
The soldiers said their captain was a half mile away giving orders by mounted courier. The grim marshal tracked down the captain and his staff, inquired where his status report was. The captain said he was working on it. Davu asked how he could provide an accurate report when he was so far away from the front line. After a moment of awkwardness, Davu ordered the captain and his staff to the front line to present his report. Sure enough, the troops of the captain were engaged in a violent exchange of musket fire with the enemy. Davu, the captain, and his aides waited right up to the front line where the musket balls were flying and the cannonballs were thickest. Davu told the captain to commence with his report. The marshal had made his point. An officer needs to be close to the front lines with his men. Another officer described serving under Davu, quote, I can assure you that to serve under him is truly a serious matter, end quote. In 1804, the 34-year-old Davu was named one of the original 18 marshals of the empire. Many were astonished by his promotion due to his young age and because his resume was not as impressive as many of the other marshals. But Napoleon had an eye for talent and didn't care that he didn't look the part. Unlike the dashing Murat or charismatic Lan, Davu was short, balding, with a gruff personality. But he was one of the emperor's most ardent supporters, even in the darkest times of the empire. In 1805, the emperor moved the Grand Armée from the shores of France to encircle the Austrian vanguard under General Mack. Davout's Third Corps participated in the attack of General Mack at Ulm, but saw very little action in their sector. However, the December 1805 Battle of Austerlitz was a much different affair. Davu and his corps arrived in the nick of time for the battle after a forced 87-mile march. It was a 40-hour journey, of which only five hours were permitted for the men to rest. Once they arrived, Davu's troops went immediately into the front lines to secure the right side of Napoleon's army. This was to be a motif of Davout's corps, protecting the important right flank of the army and doing so with gusto. After the French were victorious, Davout issued his pursuit orders of the fleeing allies in his usual blunt manner, quote, let not one escape, end quote. The following year in 1806, during the war with Prussia, Davout cemented his legacy with an unlikely win. While Napoleon was engaged with a smaller portion of the Prussians, Davout had his hands full with the main body of the enemy army. He repeatedly requested assistance from Marshal Bernadotte, who commanded the closest French corps to Davout's troops. The arrogant Bernadotte refused to budge, telling Davout's couriers, quote, Return to your marshal and tell him that I am here and that he need not fear. End quote. Every Prussian assault splintered upon hitting Davout's rigid squares of troops. In a battle where he was outnumbered almost three to one, Davout galloped from square to square, encouraging his men quote, 
The great Frederick believed that God gave the victory to the big battalions, but he lied. It is the obstinate people that win, and that's you and your general, end quote. The battle started early in the morning, but by early afternoon, the Prussians could make zero headway against Davu, and their attack began to slacken. Noticing this and receiving reinforcements from General Moran, Davu switched from defense to offense by flaring his lines in an ominously shaped crescent. The flanks of Davu advanced and pushed the larger Prussian force into a panicked retreat. Davu's force only stopped the pursuit due to sheer exhaustion. Although Davu suffered 7,000 casualties, he inflicted 13,000 on the Prussians, including one of their commanders, the Duke of Brunswick, who was mortally wounded. After Davu secured his win in Auerstadt, he sent one of his officers to inform Napoleon of his massive victory. Napoleon scoffed at the numbers estimate of the Prussian force thinking he had already beaten the main part of the Prussian army. Quote, your marshal must be seeing double, end quote. Although he was mocking Debu's poor eyesight, Napoleon soon learned the truth of his success at Auerstadt. As a reward, Napoleon let Debu and his men enter the capital of Berlin on October 25, 1806, while his rival, Bernadotte, was held in disgrace. The following day, the emperor inspected Debu's corps and thanked the officers and soldiers for their great services rendered and paid a tribute to their fallen. Quote, the brave men I have lost, whom I regret as it were my own children, but who died on the field of honor. End quote. The emperor then complimented Debu, saying, quote, this marshal displayed distinguished braveness and firmness of character, the first qualities in a warrior." End quote. Four months later, at the Battle of Eilau, Davu almost rolled up the entire left flank of the Russian army, destroying one enemy unit after another. Only a late afternoon arrival of a Prussian corps staved off disaster. This enemy Prussian force hit Davu's weary men hard, and the marshal displayed great courage by riding up and down his lines to encourage his men, bellowing, quote, The brave will find a glorious death here. The cowards will visit the deserts of Siberia. End quote. Thus, he was imploring his men to die before any thought of surrender entered their minds. The Battle of Eilau was a bloody draw for both sides. After the latter Battle of Friedland, Peace with Russia was finally declared in the Treaty of Tilsit. That same year, Davu was dubbed the Duke of Auerstadt by the Emperor. Napoleon insisted on giving Davu great quantities of monetary endowments, including 300,000 francs, because, quote, he takes nothing for himself, end quote. This again made Davu an odd ball amongst the Marshalate, compared to the likes of Massena and Ogeru, who looted anything that wasn't nailed down. The marshal would spend the next few years administering Poland under its new Napoleonic Empire name of the Grand Duchy of Warsaw. 
He was aided in the recruitment of a Polish military force by the future marshal and prince of Poland, Poniatowski. In 1809, Davout was again called to the fronts for the war against a resurgent Austria. Because Napoleon was delayed in getting to the front, Davout and the other marshals were under the command of Marshal Berthier. Although a fine logistical commander and organizer, Berthier had his limits when it came to tactical decisions. Berthier split the French army to try to block all possible lines of approach instead of concentrating their army at one strategic rallying point. Accordingly, he placed Davout's corps in a dangerously exposed position against the massive approaching army of Archduke Charles. Although Davout knew this was a mistake, he dutifully followed his orders with no supporting French corps within 40 miles. Napoleon finally arrived at headquarters and with Davout's finesse, he was able to extricate the corps before disaster ensued. In the April 09 Battle of Ecmoule, the Iron Marshal again proved his mettle. He and Marshal Lefebvre held down a defensive line against the Austrians, while Napoleon and the rest of the army enveloped the enemy forces, inflicting 10,700 casualties, while only sustaining 3,000 on the French side. For his stellar efforts, the marshal was named Prince of Egmont by Napoleon. Later, in Napoleon's first loss in a decade at the Battle of Aspern Essling, Davout's corps was kept out of the battle due to broken bridges over the river near Vienna. His efforts in the follow-up Battle of Wagram was another stalwart performance on the right flank of the army. On the first day of the battle, he was criticized by Napoleon for his slowness in capturing a key village. But on the second day, he rolled up the left flank of the Austrians that helped cinch the victory. Afterwards, Davout was made commander of the French occupation army in Germany. His main job was to enforce Napoleon's continental system and prevent any trading with Britain. He was also to keep a close eye on Prussia and Russia. He was made governor of the Hanseatic cities and started the clandestine buildup of Polish, Saxon, and French troops for the anticipated invasion of Russia. Once the invasion started in 1812, Davout was given the largest command of troops, 140,000, which earned more jealousy from the other marshals. Davout, of course, didn't have time for petty jealousies as he was more focused on making sure that every one of his troops had rations for the first 24 days in the Russian campaign. Napoleon believed it would be a quick war with Russia, as it was with his Prussian campaign. The optimism and rations quickly ran out in Russia, as the enemy continually withdrew away from Napoleon's army. The Iron Marshal had a famous row with Marshal Murat, who Davout accused of mishandling the cavalry and wearing out his infantry who struggled to keep up. In the early engagements with the Russians, Davout initially performed well, especially in the battles of Smolensk and Borodino. But during the retreat from Moscow, the weather and lack of food took its toll on Davout and his troops. 
It has been said that the Iron Marshal never lost a battle. But Viasma, in November 1812, was definitely a lost battle. The Iron Marshal and his corps were positioned in the rear guard to protect the retreat of Napoleon's army. His starving, exhausted 14,000 troops were moving slowly and allowed a wide gap to open between them and the rest of the army. The Russians saw their chance and attacked this gap, cutting off Davout's corps and inflicting heavy casualties on his men. Fortunately for Davout, Prince Eugene and his soldiers heard the cannon fire and returned to rescue their comrades. Marshal Ney also dispatched a regiment to assist. The French suffered 7,000 casualties. Even Davout's baggage train and Marshal's baton were captured by the Russians, the latter of which received a harsh reprimand from Napoleon. General Collincourt remarked afterwards, quote, Until then, as long, that is, as it had to withstand alone the attacks of the enemy, the First Corps had maintained its honor and reputation. Although it was fiercely attacked and its formation broken by the artillery, the momentary disorder was conspicuous because it was the first time that these gallant infantry broke ranks and compelled their dogged commander to give ground. I have related these painful details because from this incident must be dated our disorganization and misfortunes. The First Corps, which on taking the field was the largest and finest, arrival to the guard, was thenceforward the hardest hit, and the evil spread. End quote. After that disaster, Debu was replaced as rear guard commander by Marshal Ney. This was the correct move by Napoleon, as Ney's personal magnetism inspired his men to survive no matter what the odds. After Napoleon deserted the army to head back to Paris and rebuild his empire, Marshal Murat was named commander of the remaining French army. Shortly after that, Murat quit his command to head back to his kingdom in Italy. Davout had finally had enough of the egotistical Murat, reminding him, quote, You are only king by the grace of Napoleon and by the blood of brave Frenchmen. You can only remain king by Napoleon's aid and by remaining united with France. It is black ingratitude which blinds you, end quote. The pompous Murat fled anyway, and Prince Eugene took command of the remnants of Napoleon's army. In 1813, after returning from Russia, Davout was again tasked with holding the line in Germany around Dresden. From there, he took command of Hamburg again and ruled it relentlessly while the final stages of Napoleon's empire played out. With just 34,000 troops, Davout held off 60,000 besieging Russian soldiers under General Benningsen. The Iron Marshal beat back several attacks from the Russians. He even launched a surprise sortie where his men captured much-needed supplies. Benningsen repeatedly called on Davout to surrender, mentioning Napoleon's abdication. Davout scoffed, quote, the emperor, of whose downfall I am unaware, is not in the habit of communicating with his general through the enemy. End quote. Davout held the city until May 27, 1814, 
almost a full two months after the emperor's abdication. When he returned to Paris, he was called out onto the carpet to explain his actions in Hamburg, including charges of looting, executions, and ignoring the king's orders. He was told then to stay away from Paris, so Davout returned to his estates. When Napoleon escaped from his exile, Davout was one of two marshals in Paris to welcome his return. The other was Marshal Lefebvre. Napoleon made Davout his minister of war in Paris. Some historians claim it was a mistake to not give Davout a battlefield command. But Napoleon needed someone in the capital he could trust and who wouldn't be swayed by scheming or weak-willed politicians. Davout was his usual workaholic self and assembled an army totaling 280,000 men within just a few months. After the June 1815 catastrophe at Waterloo, Davout encouraged Napoleon to fight on. But the emperor knew that all of Europe was against him and he abdicated a second time. Davout did his best to secure an agreeable peace with the Allies and prevent prosecution of the generals and officers that served under Napoleon during his return. Davout resigned his position as Minister of War and eventually left the army altogether after the returning King Louis XVIII issued a prescribed list of officers who committed treason including his brother Marshal Ney. Davout did everything in its power to save Ney from the firing squad, but was unsuccessful in preventing his death. For standing up for Ney, Davout was stripped of all his posts and pensions and lived a destitute existence for a few years. Finally, in 1817, King Louis reinstated his military salary and later restored him as Marshal of France. Davout and his wife Amy lived quietly after that, but his health began to decline. A great celebration was had at their estate in 1820 to celebrate the marriage of their eldest daughter, Josephine, an event attended by so many high-ranking officers of Napoleon that it was subject to surveillance by the royal police. Sadly, Josephine's marriage was short-lived, as she died within a year from childbirth complications. This loss broke the Iron Marshal, and his health deteriorated more rapidly. Davout finally passed in 1823, at the age of 53. Amy survived her husband by 45 years, continuing to live in peace, away from the hustle and bustle of the royal court. In reviewing his career, Davout was definitely the one Marshal Napoleon could always depend on for important independent commands. Some historians contend that Napoleon was jealous of Davout's military abilities. Bullocks, I say. Davout always got tough assignments because Napoleon knew he could handle them and didn't need constant oversight. Napoleon also knew that Davout wasn't a threat to overthrow him because almost every other marshal hated him and wouldn't obey his command. His battle record was a remarkable 10 wins and one loss. He was strict with his men, but stricter with himself, as his troops called him, quote, the just, end quote. 
It is interesting that the youngest of the original 18 marshals, and probably the most questionable appointment, was the one who performed best in the long run. As the emperor once stated, quote, Davout was one of the purest glories in France, end quote. I believe we will finish on this point. Join us next time when we learn about another master of independent command, and perhaps the most underrated of Napoleon's paladins, Marshal Suchet. Thanks for listening.